Welcome to Sizzlin' Arrow Outdoors. Our podcast, like our community, is all about helping you live a healthier lifestyle by learning how to prepare your own mouth-watering meals for friends and family while supporting local farmers and ethical hunting practices. Fresh, clean, organic. It's time to eat right by owning your food from turf to table. And now, here's your host, Sizzlin' Arrow founder, Paul Rhodes. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Sizzlin' Arrow podcast. I am your host, Paul Rhodes, and we appreciate you tuning into us today. And if this is the first time that you've tuned into us, you know, welcome. And you know, after this episode, make sure you check out some of the other episodes if you haven't done so already. And if I can make a recommendation, I would definitely check out the first one, which gives you a breakdown of what we are about and what we're looking to accomplish. And of course, our website is www.sizzlinarrow.com. Have some new blogs up on that. So uh, great information there and uh, good links along with that too. So make sure you go and check both those out if you have not done so already. But anyway, man, uh, fall is upon us. We are in full swing of deer season, at least here in North Carolina. I know uh, most states are probably in full swing right now as well. So hopefully if you are out in the woods, you're having some good luck or at least seeing a lot of activity. I was out in the woods, was it two days ago? And I, I just had a feeling it was going to be be busy. I mean, the woods were hopping, if, if you want to say that. I mean, we had probably about seven or eight deer running around out there. Had one come in, a little button buck, nothing, nothing worth shooting, but uh, we're going to let him grow. But he came in, could have you know shot him all day. Unfortunately, it wasn't a big 10-point or a um, mature doe. But uh, that, that day's coming. I'm going to be going back out this evening, and hopefully we'll have some luck tonight. I've got a pretty good feeling about it. But, you know, sometimes I'm wrong. But it's just good being out in the woods, sitting in the stand, breathing that fresh air, and watching all the wonderful things that Mother Nature has to offer. But anyway, today's episode, we're going to be talking about ethics, what it means to be an ethical hunter. Uh, I think there's some kind of misconception about hunters. Well, I don't think so. I know there's a misconception about hunters. The misconception is that we are inconsiderate murderers of innocent animals. That's kind of the misconception in a nutshell. And, you know, we all know, and I know that that's not the case. I have a lot of respect and I know most other hunters do. Now, as with anything, there are some bad apples out there, but we should not be defined by a few offshoots that don't do the right thing. And it's one of those things to where the good hunters, the ones that do what is right, need to be a little bit more vocal and loud out in the community and actually show what hunting and what our tradition and the sport that we love is really about. So we're just going to kind of talk about the ethics. I've got seven different things that we're going to discuss that kind of makes a um, ethical hunter and what we can do to ensure that we are doing the right thing while we are in the woods and then also out in uh, public talking to individuals as well. So we're going to go ahead and just kind of get into the seven different ethical ways or seven different ways of being an ethical hunter, at least according to me and in my opinion. So first one is having well-tuned equipment. So if you have a well-tuned bow or a properly sighted in rifle and you know exactly where that arrow or that bullet's going to go, you can ensure that you have a clean shot 
and you're going to hit what you're shooting at. You're not going to have a wounded animal running around in the woods with a bullet hole or with a arrow sticking in it. And, you know, the last thing that we want to do as ethical hunters is to make the animals suffer. So having well-tuned, trusted equipment, that is crucial and very, very important in being successful for one, but also making sure that we are not harming Mother Nature and we're not sending animals out to suffer uh, if we place a bad shot. You know, bad shots do happen on occasion. Sometimes, you know, it's it's just out of our control, whether it's a limb that we hit that we didn't see or get too hyped up with excitement and uh, pull or jerk or uh, torque. You know, you, you can torque your bow or you can flinch on the shot. So there are things that happen that kind of are out of our control. But, you know, if you have, again, well-tuned, well-sighted in equipment, the chances of bad accidents happening are less likely. Uh, number two, having very sharp broadheads or proper bullet weight for the game that you are pursuing. So let's start with the broadhead. So if you have a sharp broadhead, that is going to cut very well. Uh, as soon as it enters the animal, it's going to cut and it's not going to push the insides out of the way. So practically, it's going to make it a surgical incision that is not, I mean, it's going to be felt by the animal, but not as much and not as harsh as if you shoot one with a dull blade. If you shoot one with a dull blade, what happens is if depending on how dull the blade is, if it's really dull, it'll kind of push things out of the way and not do a whole lot of damage, which in return is going to end up leaving very bad blood trails, very minimal internal damage, and very long, miserable, and suffering death for the animal. So a little story with the sharp broadhead. So last year, I shot a buck at 12 yards. You know, he, he came in from behind me, and he was walking through, and I seen him come in. So I got drawn and I waited for him to get broadside right next to the stand. And I let my arrow go or release the arrow. And he kind of did a little flinch, but then he didn't move. He didn't move at all. He was just looking around like nothing happened. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's 12 yards. There's no way I missed this thing. And he started walking off and I was like, oh man, holy crap. I, I missed this deer at 12 yards. I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. I'm not going to say anything about this. And then <laughs> all of a sudden he started teetering, like wobbling a little bit, and then he just fell over. That is what happens when you have a sharp broadhead. It's the thing was so sharp that when it entered the animal, it zipped through him, did all the damage. It happened so quick and so cleanly, that animal didn't really know what hit him. So, I mean, that's what we're shooting for is, you know, having it a quick, clean kill and as little stress as possible to the animal. Because one, as soon as that adrenaline starts running and the stress kicks in on that animal, the meat starts to get affected as well. So we want to alleviate any, as much stress, we can't alleviate all stress, but alleviate as much stress as we possibly can in those scenarios so we have better tasting meat at the end of everything. Um, proper bullet weight. Now, let's say if you're going, let's say if you're going out west and you're going on an elk hunt, you're not going to want to take a 55 grain 223 bullet after that elk. So, I mean, granted, a well-placed shot would probably do the trick, but you want something a little bit heavier because you're going after a much bigger animal. Uh, white tail cartridges 
aren't necessarily going to work on elk and moose. So let's say, you know, 223, 60 grain bullet will still kill an elk, but it's not going to be as effective and as quick as if you're using, let's say, a 150 grain or 160 grain 7 millimeter round or a 300 round or a 338 round. Your effective range is going to be less uh, with the smaller bullets. Um, you know, if you make a bad shot or if you flinch, it's not going to make the damage that you need for it to actually finish off the animal. So you're going to have a wounded animal. And yeah, it's you just need to make sure you have the proper cartridge and the proper weight of bullet after the game you're going after. So again, whitetail, smaller, medium-sized game, you're, you're okay with like a, I mean, 223s going on the low side. Honestly, you know, I would probably go with a 243 if you can and up to like a 270 if you start getting up into the 300 Winchester mags and the seven millimeters. Those are probably getting to be a little bit on the bigger side for medium-sized game, but I mean, they'll still work. You're just going to have more damaged meat if you're using those bigger calibers. Elk and moose, you're going to want like, uh, you know, 270 or above. I use a seven millimeter for elk hunting. If I use a rifle, primarily I do bow, but honestly, I probably, in my opinion, I wouldn't go any less than a seven millimeter. I would go seven millimeter and up uh, for elk and moose and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, number two, definitely make sure that your broadheads are extra sharp or you have the proper bullet weight for the animal you are pursuing. Going into shot placement, this is number three. So you want to make sure that you're making a good shot and you're not making bad decisions on when the time comes to make that shot on the animal. So with a bow, you, you're going to want to strive for broadside shots. Um, you want to make sure that they are not being covered by any twigs or brush or anything like that. You want a nice open shot because when you're shooting a bow and arrow, or you're shooting an arrow at an animal, any branch or any small thing can deflect that arrow and end up making a good shot, a bad shot. So um, you want to make sure that you are aware of your surroundings when you take that shot. And you also want to try to shoot for broadside shots on archery hunting. Now you can do a quartering away shot, not a steep quarter because your arrow is going to deflect off, but kind of a, uh, I don't know, maybe 40 probably a little bit less than a 45 degree angle facing away. You can put it right behind the rib cage and you should be good with that. Um, when you're using mechanicals, you want to be, when you're using mechanical broadheads, you want to be careful with the quartering shots because those can deflect depending on what you're using. I've experienced that. Um, you know, that's why I'm not shooting uh, rage broadheads because they deflected a few times on me. Not saying that they're a bad broadhead. I just don't like them personally. I found that the Grim Reaper whitetail specials are really good for quartering shots. The Nap Spitfires are pretty good for quartering shots as well. But I try to wait for them to turn broadside. And most of the time, you will get an opportunity of a broadside shot if you're paying attention and you're on point and ready. Um, with gun shoot, like with rifle hunting um, or gun shooting or muzzleloader, the quartering shots aren't that big a deal. I mean, you definitely, I mean, you can shoot a face like straight face on shot from a deer. You just put it right here on his uh, chest cavity, but you better be darn sure that your gun is shooting exactly where you want it to shoot. It needs to be shooting straight. You got to be able to get 
quarter size groups, you know, sub MOA groups or MOA groups, like one, one, um, one inch groups at about a hundred yards before personally, I would feel comfortable taking that shot. So again, having a well sighted in rifle, you can take those facing shots, uh, quartering shots, quartering away or quartering two or broadside shot with a rifle. I'm not a big fan of the Texas heart shot. <laughs> That's where you shoot them in the, like shoot them up the ass. Um, but it, it ruins a lot of meat that way. So I try to steer clear of that. And it also pulls all that feces and uh, urine and everything into the meat and kind of spreads it around. So it's just, it's not a good shot. So try to avoid doing that if, if you can. So let's look at that again. Number three, shot placement, bow and arrow, not a steep quartering away shot, 45 degree or less. And then broadside shots are your best options for uh, bow and arrow. And rifle, you can, as long as you have a well-sighted in rifle, of course, broadside shots are the best shots in any scenario. But you can do a facing two, put it right on the chest cavity, quartering away or quartering two with rifle. Try to stay away from the Texas heart shot if uh, at all possible. Uh, number four, you need to be respectful of mother nature while you're out there. So just use the, what you take in, you take out or what you take in, you make sure you bring out more than what you take in. So what I mean by that is if you take in, let's say water bottles or, um, granola bars and stuff, make sure you bring your wrappers and your trash back with you. Don't like throw it out of the stand or throw it out of the blind and let it sit there. If you smoke, don't leave your cigarette butts out there, bring those back with you too. And if you see anything, cans, bottles, trash, you know, just take a little bag with you and pick this stuff up on your way out. Uh, I'm not saying pick it up on your way in, but when you're heading home, getting ready to go, pick the stuff up, bring it with you, leave it better than what you found it. If we all do a little bit more of that, one, the land's going to be cleaner. Uh, there's going to be less waste and debris and less things for animals to step in or get tangled up in. So it, it's just a really good habit to get into and it's a way to respect the nature. And then also making sure that you, you know, I mean, all this that we're talking about is being respectful of nature because you want to respect the animals that we pursue. And the way that we do that is make good shot placement, make sure we kill them uh, quickly and ethically and not let them suffer. And, you know, another thing, uh, respecting nature, in my opinion, is using less lead ammunition uh, and using more copper-based ammunition. Because one, if we shoot an animal with lead bullet, it disperses through the meat. It also gets in the uh, guts, the entrails, and other animals, scavengers, birds, will eat these entrails, and then they'll also eat that lead, which causes lead poisoning in these animals and ultimately will kill those animals as well. So if you're using copper, they have a lot better weight retention of the bullet. Yes, sometimes they don't mushroom as well, at least from what I've read, and they tend to zip through the animal without doing a lot of damage. So if you are using copper, instead of putting it behind the shoulder, maybe try putting it on the shoulder. That way you're ensured that it mushrooms a little bit better. I don't know. There's ways around these things, the ways to look at it, but definitely the less lead we use, the better for the um, predators, better for the scavengers, better for just the nature in general, and better for us too, better for our health, because we're not eating this lead when we're eating the meat. So, you know, it's definitely in our best interest to look at a copper as replacement for the lead bullets. And if you don't want to use copper bullets, 
go to archery hunting. You don't have to worry about it at all because the shaft is very clean as soon as it enters the animal and there's no fragmentation on those whatsoever. And you actually save a lot of meat that way too. So we are on what, number four? I think that was number four. So number five is animal utilization. So once we shoot the animal, we need to um, know what to do with it, right? So once we bring the animal down, we need to be able to utilize that animal to the best of its ability. This is the utmost respect for the animal is being able to butcher it, process it, use the bones, the heart, the liver, uh, you know, you can use the tongue, you can use the hide to make, you know, we have a place around here that I heard from my neighbors that you give them the hide. I think it's, I don't think it's Hunters Feeding the Hungry, it's another organization, but they make gloves for disabled veterans out of the hide. So you can donate your hide to them and uh, they can put it to good use as well. I don't know how to make gloves. So I'm not even going to try. I'll give it to somebody else. They can do that. But I do know how to butcher the animal. I do know how to cook the animal. I do know how to do all that. So when you shoot the animal, it's it's best to use everything you possibly can. Uh, like I said, the meat, the bones you can use. I mean, heck, you can even dehydrate the lungs and use it as dog to dog chews. You know, the trachea, you can uh, dry that out, give it to the dog for dog chews, the legs, the hooves, dog chews, you know, the heart you can eat, the liver you can eat, the bones you can make stock out of or soups. Um, a lot of great ways that you can utilize this animal. So we want to make sure that we don't shoot more than we can eat for one. And then two, once we get that animal down, we need to know what to do with it and make sure that we utilize it to the best of its ability. Number six is respecting landowner wishes. This one's a big one. If you are leasing land from somebody, you need to be respectful of what they wish to be done with their land. If they ask you not to bring friends over, if they just want one or two people, respect that. Don't bring anyone in that they don't want in there. Good communication between you and the landowner is key. If there's something that you want to do that was not previously agreed upon, you need to ask for permission and get it put in writing and let them put the stipulations on it. You know, work it out, negotiate it, and just make sure you get there okay to do anything that you're doing out there. Uh, like the property I hunt on, the landowner doesn't want me field dressing or leaving the insides of the animal out on his property. So what I do is I field dress the animal. I have a big black bag in my uh, pack and... I put it in the bag and I carry it out and I take it to the dump. You know, things like that. You just want to make sure that you and the landowner have good communication and that you know what he wants and what he expects and he knows what you are looking to do and what you're planning to uh, do on the property. So treat the property as your own and make sure that you follow their lead on that. And last one, number seven, is how we talk to other individuals that may not be hunters is really important. So it's, it's not the, oh, you're wrong. You think hunting is um, terrible and we're a bunch of monsters. You're wrong. Well, they have a reason to think this for some reason. Yeah, it, it may not be a logical reason. It may just be something that they heard from somebody, or it may just be, you know, the, the media push on, you know, the poachers that are out there and, you know, hunters are not poachers. I've said that before. We are completely different. They're, they poachers should not be put into the same category with hunters. Yes, they shoot animals, but not for the same reasons that we do. We actually go out, we pursue, we enjoy the mother nature. We don't shoot these animals for the kicks of it. We don't shoot the animals for profit. We are out there due to tradition. We're out there for meat. We're out there for the experience. We're out there to 
enjoy Mother Nature in its purest form, and we also add billions and billions of dollars to conservation. So when we're talking to someone that may not be a hunter, and we're talking to someone that doesn't agree with hunting or thinks that you know hunting is evil, the way we present it and explain it is going to be key to increase our hunters numbers uh, in the future. So, you know, one thing that I like to do when I talk to individuals is go in with it with a cool head. You know, don't, don't get offended. Uh, they're not trying to offend you. Uh, at least most of them aren't. Some, <laughs> some do, you know, some people you're not going to, you know, it's like talking to a wall, but those are the ones, those are the conversations that we just need to you know pack up and head out. And it's not even worth the conversation, but a lot of people have a respect and a lot of people have an understanding that if you're hunting for food and you utilize that animal to the best of its ability and you show respect for this animal and it's more of a, I guess it's it's a sacred thing taking an animal and you know it's given us life for us to live and thrive and to feed upon and it's like a gift gift from God if you would say and if we kind of present it that way and let them know that it's because we want to have healthier meat for our families we want to have the full experience and actually be involved in the process from beginning to finish and gives and show our children what it means to have this food on the table, what work goes into putting food on the table. And it's not to be taken for granted. I think if we put it in those terms, we'll have more people on our side and more people following kind of what we're doing and wanting to learn more about it. So that that's really key. So, but that's pretty much all I've got for you guys today. And if you have any comments, any questions, uh, you know, by all means, leave me some comments on my email, which is paul at sizzlingarrow.com. And uh, you can also leave us a five-star rating and review here on the podcast if you enjoy that. Uh, you know, those really go a long ways, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. So, you know, let's get a little vocal, guys. Come on, uh, send me some information. Uh, give me some conversations to work with. And I'd uh, love to hear from you. So anyway, before we close it out for today, we're going to go back through the seven different ways of being an ethical hunter. You have one as having well-tuned equipment. Number two, having sharp broadheads or proper bullet weight and caliber for the game you're pursuing. Number three, uh, shot placement. Number four is respecting nature. Number five is animal utilization. So utilizing that animal to the best of its ability. Number six, respecting landowner wishes. And then, of course, number seven is being respectful in our conversations with non-hunters and trying to show them what hunting is really all about and making sure that they know poachers and hunters are completely different and they're not the same. So, yeah, that's really it for today, guys. And Oh, wait. Oh, oh, hold on. Well, one more thing. So actually, we're going to make this eight. So uh, going back into the shot placement thing, uh, you need to know your effective range. You don't need to go out there and you're only able to shoot um, out to 150 yards and you try to take a 600-yard shot with your rifle. You need to know your effective range and you need to practice consistently with those ranges. If you're shooting a bow and arrow, try to practice from 20 to 60. Um, because if you can hit something at 60 yards in a good group, you can definitely hit something at 20. So, you know, push yourself a little bit with the ranges while you're at the range. Okay. While you're practicing, not when you're out in the field shooting at an animal, that's not the time to practice, but make sure you know your effective range before you go into the woods and don't extend that at any means. So 
that's number eight. So yeah, guys, that's really all I got for you. So make sure you leave us a five-star rating if you like this episode and make sure you leave us a review too. Love to hear from you. And you know, again, shoot me some emails with uh, comments and some different ideas. So I look forward to talking to you guys again here shortly. And we have uh, another interview show coming at the end of the month. Hope you all have a great rest of the day and happy hunting. Thanks for listening to the Sizzle and Arrow podcast. Learn more about how we give our members the tools they need to become self-sufficient in transforming their eating habits by visiting www.sizzleandarrow.com. You can also follow our hunting, farming, and culinary experts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time.